0: Hi there, welcome back to the Christopher Gubbin Show, and let's do a shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona in Tucson, and KBYT, Pasquayaki Tribal Radio, and uh, let's listen to some more Maya Kopa. I can, um, I'm just going backwards in time, um, let's see, conversation, the Bill Barr rats on Trump, the January 6th committee, that's June 2nd, okay, and, uh, yeah, <clears throat> shout out to my students, thanks for 10,000 followers.
1: I'm Mark Kelly, and I approve this message. I didn't expect to fix Washington in a Senator year, Kelly's but i started by doing things do differently. It. I don't take corporate PAC money, and I publish my Senate schedule online because
2: I know who I work for. Paid for by Mark Kelly for Senate. Yeah,
0: thanks, Senator Kelly. You're doing a good job. I'll
3: give you a B plus. Maybe this is my Maya culpa,
0: oh baby, don't lie to me. If I tell you my story, don't cry for me. Time, I
3: can't my Mea culpa.
2: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Maya Culpa podcast.
0: And this is Memorial uh, Day,
2: a time to reflect with friends and family, out. is also the unofficial beginning of summer. But there were 16 mass shootings over Memorial Day weekend. And I'll say it again, 16 mass shootings. Oh, my God. And yet, Republican members of Congress and the conservative majority of the Supreme Court say it's constitutionally impossible to stop the mass murder of our children and everyone else because the Second Amendment says so. I, I just have to say
0: respectfully that there is a way for us to have common sense gun laws. There is a way for us to make sure that lawful, responsible gun owners like yourself are able to use it for sporting, hunting, protecting yourself. But the only way we're going to do that is if we don't have a situation in which
2: anything that is proposed is viewed as some tyrannical, destruction of the second amendment. The second amendment is why we can't go to pretty much anywhere without the fear of getting shot to death. The second amendment is why you can't be immediately arrested for openly carrying around an assault rifle into a Walmart and why you can't be immediately arrested for smuggling a hand cannon in your boxer shorts to the gym. The Second Amendment is how law enforcement justifies the need for military-grade armaments to, of course, match the firepower they meet in the streets. The Second Amendment protects fucking idiots who shoot wolves from helicopters with machine guns. The Second Amendment is why our kids are scared to go to school. And it's way past time for the Second Amendment to be replaced <laughs> or certainly
4: repealed. We're back. You're watching CNN. on am Brooke Baldwin. Uh, a stunning call to repeal
5: the Second Amendment is perhaps the most radical proposition in the gun debate. So to hear it from a retired Supreme court, court Justice is simply quite stunning. In an opinion piece penned for The New York Times, John Paul Stevens writes that a constitutional amendment to, quote, get rid of the Second Amendment, uh, quoting him would do more to weaken the nra's ability to stymie legislative debate and block constructive gun control legislation than
2: any other available options in the meantime there's uvalde texas the scene of a mass murder of children and their teachers so heinous that the entire country is struggling to wrap their collective head around it made only worse by a completely inept police force and lying, scheming politicians who refuse to tell us the truth about the incident. How and why was the response to that particular Texas mass murder a complete and utter clusterfuck? And yet, the cowardly chief of police in Uvalde has been sneaking around town, dodging the press, but somehow manages to get sworn into the city council on Tuesday. On Wednesday morning, a CNN reporter camped outside a school district office, confronted Chief Pedro Arredondo as he exited his car, asking, "How can you explain yourself?" We're not going to release anything. We have we have people in our community being buried, so, so right. we're going to be respectful. I, I just want your reaction. We're going to be. We're going to
1: Responsible for the decision. Right. We're going so to be. Yourself. We're going to be respectful to the family. I understand that. You have and, an and opportunity we're going, oh, and sure, and we're, to be respectful to the family. I understand that. You to to the parents.
2: And just so you know, we're going we're to do that eventually, obviously. And whenever this is done, we'll let the family stop then we'll do that, <laughs> obviously. He said when the family stopped grieving. We're <laughs> never going to stop grieving. And yeah. it demeans the families mm-hmm. to put the truth off indefinitely. But Police Chief Arredondo hasn't publicly answered questions in days. Not from the Texas Rangers, the FBI, or even the White House. Move, get out of my way. Do something. That's what people on the streets of Uvalde chanted during the president's visit to the shell-shocked city over the weekend. They booed as Governor Greg Abbott toured the scene of the crime, robbed elementary school, and placed flowers at a makeshift memorial. Our children love them, love them. Ben Gonzalez was the one shouting. He grew up here. He says he hates what happened in the city he loves, but hopes something will come from the pain and the anger. I'm not a gun activist or I'm not against guns completely. I own a a firearm to protect my own. But no one should expect the most gun-loving governor in the country to help. Abbott and his cronies are actively engaged in a cover-up and have been since the day of the massacre. Mounting questions over the decision to not fully engage the attacker earlier, allowing him to remain barricaded inside a pair of classrooms for more than an hour, has prompted the Justice Department to move in early this week. Their initial critical incident review has found gross negligence and proof that Abbott and Texas State Police have been spouting misleading information since their first press conference. Abbott saying it would have been worse if police didn't do what they did is now laughable. ABC News came across video and audio of children calling for help from inside the classroom that a dispatcher relayed to the police on the scene, who did absolutely fucking nothing but try and restrain parents from rushing inside to save their kids. Uh, Listen, I'm not a police officer and I'm certainly not an expert in these types of things, but it seems like there was a tremendous amount of failure. To put it on one local cop is just beyond me i was misled said abbott at another press conference i am livid about what happened but for the most part texas republicans have tried to change the subject ted cruz in an effort to take the heat off of law enforcement pathetically tried placing blame on a teacher claiming that the shooter had entered through a door that the teacher had left propped open Recordings have surfaced which prove that the teacher closed and locked the door while on the phone with 911 dispatchers. But Texas politicians only want to focus on the minutiae and ignore the bigger picture, the you timeline a of teacher. events. Nice. And who, if anyone, will be held accountable for the piss poor response by law enforcement mm-hmm. at the scene. As it's I'm like they wanted this, no one has been fired, and no one has resigned, which is standard police procedure when an investigation goes this far off the rails. But apparently, shame is dead in Texas too. Miss Garcia, my teacher,
4: she told us we were going to go in a quick lockdown. So my friend, he got up and he turned off the TV because that's what we had to do. And right when she went out to find the key and lock the door from the outside. We heard gunshots. She says as her teacher tried to close the door, the gunman grabbed
2: it and forced his way in. And she started guarding us. But one thing is for sure. Good guys with guns are just as terrified of assault weapons as the rest of us. But there's no excuse for not going in and trying to save those kids. Fact is, the bad guys with guns, completely unchecked and unregulated by our government, have exposed the disgusting truth about the Republican Party. They would rather sacrifice our children than enact safe gun laws or lose the MAGA vote. And no one loves the Second Amendment like the MAGAs. And now that Trumpism and the big lie have totally taken hold in red states, Republicans have started to see white supremacists not as the enemy, but as their salvation. I mean, simply put, without their vote, Republicans won't win elections. And we have to get this passed.
0: It's passed the House. It's sitting in the Senate. You need to be calling your senator and making sure that we get enough Democrats that this bill passes. Because what this bill does is, and it doesn't just look at white supremacy or white terrorism, domestic terrorism. It looks at domestic terrorism overall and it tracks it. It forms groups within the DOJ, the FBI, and Homeland Security to specifically look at the infiltration of the armed services and police forces by domestic terrorists. Whether they're white terrorists, black terrorists, whatever their motivation is, it looks at the infiltration and recruitment from those groups. But more importantly, what it does is it forces them the to report annually stopped? to Congress, black which means terrorists. this will be documented database for this information for the first time.
2: Last week, Senate Republicans blocked the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act because it would have targeted white hate groups by creating an interagency task force to combat the rise of conspiracy-driven domestic terrorists and white nationalists infiltrating the military and police. Yep. Democratic yeah. Senator Chris Murphy... Whose home state suffered the Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre a decade ago, argued that it's an inoffensive, apolitical piece of legislation that just seeks to be more coordinated in taking down violent white supremacists. I mean, if we can't find consensus on fighting white supremacists, what can we find and consensus they on the floor? Probably not gun safety. And Jerry Nadler was on the House floor, and he was talking about
0: white supremacy, and he was bringing up the terrible shooting that happened in New York, but totally ignoring the shooting that happened in California um, that I think involved an Asian man that was a shooter, totally ignoring the guy that drove his car. Uh, black man that drove his cars through a Christmas parade, killing people, and was a racist himself, completely ignoring ignoring the black man that did the New York subway shooting.
2: You know, these people are all guilty of these when that? And it's not did about race. It, it shouldn't be Even? about race, um, they're clearly racist as well. I think things have gotten so bad that everyone is getting more <sighs> rational about it. Biden said. At least that's my hope. Well, mine too. But that in five cents will get you absolutely fucking nothing. Biden is perhaps remembering the time before McConnell completely obliterated the Senate. The president called on rational Republicans, McConnell and Senator John Cornyn of Texas to get the ball rolling. But history tells us that McConnell will never move forward on gun safety because it doesn't go with the GOP narrative that red states and white Christians everywhere are under siege by racial minorities, by trans people, by gay people, and women, of course. So you need your guns and assault weapons to fend off all these terrible threats. McConnell won't give up the narrative because it gets votes. White supremacy is still at the heart of all the GOP is doing to obstruct common sense anything. If you were to assemble a list, a hierarchy of concerns or problems this country faces, where would white supremacy be on the list? Right up there with Russia, probably. It's actually not a real problem in America. What? The combined membership of every white supremacist organization what? in this country. That's yeah, not a problem able to fit when, when you a, a, a member of it. Stadium? White supremacy, that's the problem. This <laughs> is a host. Just like the Russia hoax, it's a conspiracy theory used to divide the country Sir. and keep a hold on power. That's exactly what's going on. <laughs> but it looks like Democrats are going to give it the old college try anyway and work with Republicans on the Protecting Our Kids Act. Eight pieces of gun control legislation that will be packaged together and moved to the House floor for a vote next week. On the table are red flag laws, extension of background checks, safe storage measures, and mental health expansion. Even though only about 25% of shooters have a previous history of mental health issues. Republicans love to blame gun violence on anything but guns. Also up for discussion is banning assault weapons, which Democrats don't have the votes to pass, but that Biden keeps pushing anyway, pointing out in a recent press conference that once Clinton's 1994 assault weapon ban expired, incidents of killings with AR-15s tripled. All this just as New Zealand's Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, visited the White House. Arden had basically put an end to gun violence in her country after the Christchurch massacre in 2019, where a gunman killed 51 Muslims. Arden then delivered a ban on semi-automatic firearms and other safe gun laws within weeks. But then again, she didn't
4: have McConnell in the NRA to contend with. I'm wondering if you have if you can explain to us how you did it why New Zealand was able to do that when we can't pass so much as universal background checks for people with history of mental illness
0: or violent behavior, even though ninety one percent of Americans approved that, Man, one, it's both obvious, sides yeah, of the aisle.
4: Uh, how did you get obvious. that done or how did you New Zealanders get that done? Because I know it's
0: it
3: general consensus. Our well,
0: I can, I can
4: only speak to our experience in New
0: Zealand, but you know, when I watch from afar and see events such as those today, I think of them not as a politician, I see them just as a mother, and I'm so sorry for what has happened here. And then I think about what, what happened to us, and all I can reflect is we are, we are a very pragmatic people. When we saw something like that happen, everyone said never again. And so then it was incumbent on us as politicians to respond to that. Now we have legitimate needs for guns in our country for things like pest control and to protect our biodiversity but you
4: don't need a military style semi-automatic weapon to do that.
2: And so we go right no matter what the Protecting Our Kids Act proposes, when it comes down to a vote in the Senate, they'll need support from at least 10 Republicans to overcome a filibuster. And pro-gun groups have already criticized the bipartisan efforts, calling them the most serious assault on our Second Amendment rights we've ever seen in a fundraising email to supporters this week.
5: Let's go back now to the breaking news out of Oklahoma, reports of yet another possible mass shooting, this time at a hospital in Tulsa. Gun
2: violence and abortion will be on the ballot this November, but so will inflation. However, if Democrats can prove their case to the public that the GOP supports gun violence by opposing safe gun laws, we may still have a shot to keep the House and the Senate. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to Maya Culpa, best-selling author, CNN senior legal analyst, and former federal and state prosecutor, Ellie Honig. they also know him from his popular podcast, Up Against the Mob, and/or Cafe Brief. As a New Jersey federal prosecutor, Honig directed major criminal cases against street gangs, arms dealers, and even a few corrupt politicians. He was also an assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, where he successfully prosecuted more than 100 members of La Cosa Nostra, including bosses and other high-ranking members of the Gambino, instead these organized crime families.
3: With and these now and bars. all that
2: prosecutorial experience to keep the public informed and his father for his latest book due out soon entitled Hatchet Man, how Bill Barr broke the prosecutor's code and corrupted the Justice Department. Interested? Sure you yeah. are. So <laughs> let's go now to that <laughs> conversation. Okay, so Ellie. So we know that you're on to Bill Barr, all right? That's what your new book, Hatchet Man, is all about. Now he's on a rehab tour. As far as I'm concerned, it's a fucking bullshit rehab tour. And says that he's going to cooperate with the January 6th committee. So here comes my side comment. Wow, isn't that special of him, right? (laughs) Except the fact that he fails to mention... Then he backed the big lie for all this time, really for a long,
4: long time. Do you believe anything that Bill Barr is selling? So, yeah. Michael, you, you hit the nail on the head. And, and when you say, do I believe anything he's selling, I believe some of it. But what Bill Barr does really masterfully, dishonestly, is he always gives us part of the truth, but not the whole truth. He gives us the part he likes, he leaves us the part he doesn't. And what you hit on is exactly my big criticism of Bill Barr when it comes to the big lie. Bill Barr wants us all to remember. He writes about it in his book. He go, he did a whole national TV tour where he constantly mentioned the fact that after the election, three weeks after the election, when he was still Attorney General, he came forward and said, we and DOJ have found no evidence of widespread voter fraud. He did do that. That's for sure. What he's leaving out, and he wants erased from the historical record, but I do not leave out of my book, is the fact that for months leading up to the election, he was one of the biggest proponents. He fanned the flames of the big lie, and he did it as Attorney General. He did an interview on in NPR where he talked about this massive risk, counterfeit ballots. It was so bad that poor NPR, God bless their souls, had to run a correction article entitled "NPR Let the Attorney General Tell a Falsehood on Our Air." He went in front of Congress and said, "Oh, there's all this threat of fraud." When he was asked, "Do you have any evidence?" he said, "No, but I have common sense." He went on CNN. Uh, where I'm a contributor, with Wolf Blitzer. And he said, we have this case involving 1,700 fake ballots. Turned out that case involved one fake ballot, one single fake ballot. And uh, and DOJ had to issue a correction of their own attorney general after the fact they blamed it on some low-level staffer. So you're exactly right. (laughs) Bill Barr is as dishonest as the day is long. He's trying to change history now after the fact. In my view, it's too late.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. What I would like to see Bill Barr do is, okay, we all know the big lie is just that. It's a big fucking lie. However, one of the things I personally would like to see is Bill Barr step up to the plate and own the other things that we know that he was involved with on behalf of Donald as his fixer. And of course I know this because I was the fixer before Bill Barr. So I know exactly how Donald works and I know exactly how Bill Barr was thinking. I would love to know whether or not Bill Barr was directed by Donald, which is what my next book, Department of Justice, Justice is going to be about a forensic dissection of my entire (laughs) case, something that you're actually quoted in the book as well. And what I really like to know is what did Donald tell him to do, whether it was for the original case or for the unconstitutional remand? You see, Bill Barr is involved in so much more than just the big lie. And most people, even if you're Republican, (laughs) even if you're a Trump supporter, They still know that it's bullshit, that the voting machines are not, you know, we're not rigged and we're not being, um, you know, controlled by... Venezuela, uh and so on. I mean we <laughs> all know that it's just Chavez is dead. Fucking weird, which is what he is, right? That's really what it's all about. But I'd like to know the other things that Trump told him to do. What he's done so far as far as I'm concerned uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's um it falls real short of what the American people wanna hear.
4: Yeah, I, we're entitled to know. I think Bill Barr has an awful lot of explaining to do about his tenure. I have something like 15 chapters in my book, and the election part of it is one of those 15. And what's really remarkable to me, Michael, is even after the fact, Bill Barr has admitted some things that – or we've learned more, and this is in the paperback, which is out new um, – that really proved my thesis and then so, I mean, it turns out it's actually worse than we knew. I'll give you a couple of quick examples. One of my main criticisms of Bill Barr is that he politicized DOJ and he politicized his job as attorney general. And I say he did a whole bunch of political errands for Donald Trump. Well, he denies it, he denies it, and I give all sorts of examples of the book. But then he reveals oh, you know, in his own book, in his own book, uh, you know, that after Robert Mueller was done testifying in July of 2019... And it was pretty clear at that point no one was going to get indicted, and the Mueller investigation had largely fizzled out. What did Bill Barr do? According to him, nobody knew this, he had a champagne party in his office. To what? Why do you have champagne? To celebrate. And then Savannah Guthrie actually asked him about that on NBC and said, doesn't that sort of indicate that you are <laughs> you, you were being a bit political? And Barr said, well, I don't, I don't see what's political about that. I mean... You know, the other thing is Bill Barr always tried to keep up this uh, veneer of this sort of grumpy old guy who's too old for this crap and doesn't care what people (laughs) think about him and he's just going to do what he thinks is right. B.S. Because we know that because of a lot of things, but even since my book came out, since he left office, we have gotten a whole bunch of texts that have been released. The judge ordered uh, DOJ to release a bunch of Bill Barr's texts. The man is incredibly vain, incredibly conscious of his own self-image. He's always monitoring TV. Who's saying what? Hoping for retweets. There's one point where he, he, uh, something, somebody tweeted something positive about him and he's, um, sort of texting with his PIO, his press and uh, public information officer, saying, I'm hoping for more retweets. Uh. So he is really, uh, he, he, he puts a facade out there that I think is consistent with just how dishonest he was in his handling of the AG's job. Yeah, dishonest, it's, again, it just goes to show you. And it's part of the book
2: that I'm going to be releasing soon. Just how dangerous it is when you have a president or you have an individual like Donald Trump, who has the ability to not just weaponize the Justice Department, but to make its attorney general your lackey, because yep. that's what he did. And, you know, the funny thing is. As much as I hate to see the way Bill Barr acted and so on, I could understand why Donald Trump would want it that way. Personally, I'd like to see a little more Bill Barr and Merrick Garland. I'd like to see him start acting um, a little bit more distanced from, you know, doing. What they want to call the right thing, you know? I can't get, I can't get past bill barr i just can't get past him until he finally comes clean not just again on the big lie again you know and i I repeat it so often i actually hate even hearing the words we all know that trump's big lie is nothing but that a big lie we know that the election was stolen now every now and then you get a comedian like a david packman or you know um some of these other guys that will go out there and have these conversations with these lunatic Trump supporters. They're really few and far between. They are fun to watch because they're just so stupid. But at the end of the day, there's so many other things that Bill Barr has to answer for. Like, I would like to know about phone calls with Russia that Bill Barr may have knowledge of. I'd like to know about my case, the unconstitutional remand of a U.S. citizen back to prison because I refused to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. I'd like to know more about Bill Barr's knowledge about the January 6th insurrection. I'd like to know so many other things that I think are so much more important than what we already know. Right. I mean, yeah, well, just, at some point in time, we're just beating a dead horse. And in
4: yes, this case, just a fat cow. Jeez. Oh, um, I don't I don't believe that Bill Barr knew specifically that January 6th was going to happen. I believe he. it's clear that he was at a certain point belatedly uncomfortable I'm, with the spreading of the big lie. Uh, and, and I would assume fearful of what might to, happen next. Need- um, I do think he has think a lot of questions to answer. Uh, you know, I'm curious, though with your case, Michael, you, your I'm prosecution so, you to was over move that before Bill Barr became well, okay. Attorney General, but then back. there's what you, you, you referenced, which is when you were remanded, when you had, they asked you to sign this form saying you would not talk about your book, right? And they threw you back in prison for three weeks, I think it was. At the time, I said, I think I wrote about that I've never seen anything like that. That is not a standard question. It's not a standard form, You right.
2: know, as something that people don't realize, and you do. Yeah, I don't know whether it links to Barr, but, but it, it was clearly an abuse of power by DOJ. There's no, no doubt business. in my mind. There's no doubt in my mind that Bill Barr actually wrote that and had knowledge of that going forward. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, however, you know, as you know very well, all federal forms have identifying numbers yeah. to them, right? The FI1234, exactly, all right? They all have specific numbers. The document that was given to me to sign had no numbers. It looked like it was just printed. Just It was just printed off the of M- a The, the MC-101, the Michael Cohen it, 101. Yes,
4: ex- exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that's really what I would like to see. I know you have a lawsuit about this, and if you can prove that, that would be remarkable. I mean, again, there's no known proof that Bill Barr had anything to do with this, But you will get into discovery and and beyond, and maybe you'll be able to prove something like that. We'll see.
2: Well, look, I think it's not just proving it for the sake of myself uh, and the case. This goes way past Michael Cohen. This This is the quintessential and prime example of what happens again when you have a president... Who really doesn't want to be a president, but he wants to be your dictator, right? Your supreme leader. He wants to be your autocrat, your monarch, etc. Um, that's really what happens. And again, like, look, we're not we're not in disagreements uh, over here as it relates to Bill Barr. Bill Barr has a lot to answer for, and the way he's supposed to answer those questions is not in a book, right, with an advance it's not in a book it's supposed to be before the american people before a committee so let me then ask you this next question can you give us some insights about Barr that you explore in your book i mean you know obviously we're we're doing like 1.3 million downloads now you know on mayor culpa we're really turning mayor culpa into a movement and i would like people to understand what your book is all about. Was he always, you know, the duplicitous fucking jerk off that he is now? Or is there any truth to the rumors about, you know, his Epstein connection? Now, and I'm gonna talk about this in a second also, right? He killed a whole bunch of death row inmates in a short time that he worked for Trump. I'm Mark Kelly, and I approve this message. I didn't expect to fix Washington in a year.
1: I started by doing things differently. I not some corporate pack money and I publish my Senate schedule online because I know who I work for. <sighs> Paid Thank for you, by sir. Mark Kelly for
2: Senate.
0: Thank you for your service.
2: Overall. Just Give me your impression.
4: What's your take on Bill Barr's character? Or should I say, his lack of character? It's funny you put it that way, Michael, because I have I have three basically fundamental criticisms of Bill Barr. They've all been proven out. But you're actually the second time I've ever... Of all the interviews I've done about this book that anyone's ever asked me, somebody asked me, I think on, on uh, I forget, one of the networks, and said, do you think Bill Barr has a character flaw? And I said, I thought about it for a second, because I don't like to usually frame things in terms of the personal. And I said... Yeah, I do. Of course I do. The man's a liar, and he abuses his power. So look, number one, he's a liar. I call him that four-letter word in my book. And I, I will tell you, Michael, I debated that really back and forth constantly. I probably wrote and deleted the word 20 different times. But I went with it, and you know, Michael, in uh-huh. the law and in media, we are very hesitant, I think healthily so, to call someone a liar. We say, well, he misrepresented the fact, or he was wrong on this. The man lied to us so many times over, starting with the Mueller report, Uh, all the way up through the big lie, and many times in between, even about silly little things he lied to us. Um, And and to do that as attorney general is utterly unforgivable, and I do think says something about the man's uh, morality and and personal character. Um, He was a political partisan to the extreme, as you and I have already discussed, uh, the pardons, or excuse me, the, the bailing out, the attempts to help Roger Stone and Michael Flynn um giving donald trump campaign advice which he did he, he is admitted after the fact he gave donald trump advice on how you have to appeal to voters the throwing of a champagne party there's many other examples but here's the thing that i got that i found really interesting and satisfying since my book came out one of the last chapters is, is essentially why People ask, why would Bill Barr do this? This was a man, when he took the job as AG, he was in his late 60s, he had tons of money, he he was worth $40 million, according to Fortune magazine. Um, He had been Attorney General, 91 to 93, under George H.W. Bush. What would he have done this for? And we sort of look back through Bill Barr's um, speeches and things that he had written throughout past several decades and we found all of these documents from the 90s and and, and after that that basically led me to say bill Barr is a culture warrior he is a believer in the struggle between religiosity on the one hand that's the side he's on and a secular government a non-religious government on the other hand and he wrote and said some alarming things look if you want to be religious god bless no pun intended god bless i i you know be as religious as you like that's fine that's a good thing But to turn the Attorney General's Office, the DOJ, into a a vehicle for a religious crusade is a very different thing. And his view was basically, he said things like, um, "Secularism is to blame for society. It's to blame for drug addiction and mental illness. He blamed, quote, Bill Barr's quote, the homosexual movement." For corrupting our yeah. government and our society Boy, he says things like Boy, we i'm paraphrasing here we at the church have to retake our rightful position at the head of society we have to he says at one point reassemble the flock and charge back and retake the top of the hill so this man is really uh, an extremist he's a political extremist he is a religious extremist and those things pushed him to do things that were incredibly dishonest and damaging to the country Yeah, I think you hit the nail
2: right on the head. But there's a part that most people leave out. And if you speak to most people that worked in the government under the Trump administration, including Jared and Ivanka, just so you understand, right? And what I'm going to say to you is probably a little shocking, but then you're going to spend a second and say, yeah, that's probably true. (laughs) Everyone that worked in the White House for Donald all thought the same thing. Donald's a fucking dope. Dude. He's just an absolute fool. And what their hope was that they would be able to effectuate some personal goal that was important for them. Bill Barr's case, right?
3: No,
0: he's not. He's a criminal genius, religion by the way. To
2: government and controlling not a fool. society the way he thought. And then he's looking fucking at nasty. Trump, who's really, when I tell you, he's really stupid. This is a man that doesn't read. As a president, could you imagine all you're reading is news clips, all you're doing to obtain your information on how you're going to run this government is by watching Fox News or occasionally flipping through CNN or MSNBC in order to see what negative shit that they're saying about you. This is not a man who has the patience, he's ADD. So he doesn't have the the patience to sit down and to read a memo. That's why he would tell everybody, "Give me the four or five bullet points. I can take it from there. My gut knows better than my generals." Do you understand where I'm going with this? So sure. all these people looked at him as the as um, Malcolm Nance used to call him, the useful idiot that they could get right in order to be able to effectuate their own goal. Jared Kushner to open up his own hedge fund three billion dollars later with the Thank Saudis, you. right? You understand? you understand? And start breaking down each and every person. Bill Barr. You say Bill Barr had money. It does, it's more than... Listen, when I went to work for Trump, I had two and a half times what Bill Barr had. And yet I
4: still fell into the same trap. All right? No, it, it's... It, it's it's so interesting, Michael, because people do ask me who was using who in this Barr Trump relationship, and my answer is it was mutual. They were mutually using one another. Um, Bill, what does Bill Barr get out of it? He gets to to chase Thank after you. his culture you. warrior goals, and you know the money's not much of do it, you, but, uh, but, shout but out power. To power, as you know, you saw people all around Donald Trump who, was, who were intoxicated by power, who lost their moral compass because of power. And I think Bill Barr, look, he was you're, when you're an attorney general, you pulled Almost unimaginable power. He had that experience 30 years ago, and he saw a chance to get it back at the end of his career. But make no mistake, Donald Trump was using Bill Barr too. And this is all about the Mueller investigation because let's remember Bill Barr wrote what, I, what we all call the audition memo. This is in June of 2018, okay? Right. The Mueller investigation is at its peak. People are getting indicted, Manafort, Stone, Flynn, whatever. Uh, Trump is terrified of this thing. And it's 100% clear Jeff Sessions is a goner three or four months. Hence, at the midterm 2018 elections, Trump is by this point calling the coward in public and all of this. And so the AG's job is open. What does Bill Barr do? He writes up a single-spaced 19-page memo that says, and I quote, that Mueller's theory of obstruction of justice is, quote, fatally misconceived, fatally Misconceived, fatally meaning dead, misconceived meaning wrong, right? Now, Bill Barr, this is one of his classic lies, claims, oh, no, I just did that as a sort of academic, scholarly piece. Uh, I didn't have any intention to, you know, try to audition for the job. Well, guess what? He sends it into DOJ. It makes its way to Donald Trump's desk. And, Michael, you know Donald Trump personally idle, but the reporting has since been what any common-sense person would surmise. Donald Trump sees this memo and goes, ding, 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 yes, that's, that's my, my guy. guy. There we go, you know, right? The one thing I want is somebody who's going to make sure that Mueller does me no harm. So Bill Barr delivered exactly as advertised. Donald Trump put Bill Barr in that position and let Bill Barr advance his own extremist views as well.
2: Yeah, and it got so bad
4: that you may remember that there was a judge that slammed.
2: Sla- oh. slammed Bill Barr, right? And, and ordered the review yeah. right, too, and yeah. ordered the review of the Mueller report, uh, and all of the deletions in it. They wanted an unredacted report yeah. so that they could make a determination exactly what they thought was going on here. Um,
4: and that's another thing, by the way, that's happened since my book came out that I feel very vindicated by. I made the decision to call him a liar, and now we've had multiple federal judges, members of Congress, uh, you know, elected officials who have come out and said he lied um and if you go there's a couple of the judges in dc they use if you go to google and just type in liar synonym all of those words are what the judges use disingenuous questionable uh, veracity you know they use nice judge speak but luckily i'm not a judge i don't wear a robe so I, don't, I don't have to be polite that but when, I'm not going to go as crazy. I'm not going to be as extreme as you. I'll fall somewhere between a judge and you on the polite scale.
2: Because, that's because your parents had control over you when you were a child. But, <laughs> but let me... you know, But you remember that? There was like that 23-page
4: report by Judge Reggie um, Walton, Walton. Turned around and basically... You know,
2: you're right. He said nice things. Oh, it was, a, it was like a spin. You know, it was a massive spin report put out by Bill Barr in order to praised Trump and raised all of these crazy issues and doubts about whether the Justice Department can actually, you know, operate properly and legitimately. Um, I mean, I can't remember in my lifetime, I can't remember another time that I ever saw the multitude of these type of comments coming from justices, right, U.S., you know, district court judges um about somebody including whether it's the attorney general of the united
4: states or the president himself your instinct is exactly right and it's a really important point it is so rare so rare to see federal judges district court court of appeals supreme court explicitly question the credibility of the justice department i mean i was there eight and a half years then i went to work for the state for five but I was there eight and a half years. I cannot remember any example of any judge. Thousands and thousands of cases, you know, not just me, but all my colleagues of a judge. There was one time when one of my colleagues, a fellow AUSA, a judge, sort of dropped a footnote saying, I have some questions about the representations this person made. And that was an enormous scandal. That person was, was, you know, humiliated and disgraced. But compare that to now having multiple federal judges and other say not just some you know person like me i was just on the line but the attorney general has misled us has been disingenuous that one of the judges said something like it causes me to question whether are intentionally distorted the Mueller report to protect Donald Trump I mean, that is I, I, you know, I, I condolences to his family. Um, I know, but I did know that I, you know, when he passed away, his New York Times obituary, you were in the first line, and I, I kind of think it's an
2: interesting. Could you imagine the guy, right? Could you imagine the guy? Oh. talking?
4: Someone can have this long career. There's one sensational case, and that's all you'll be remembered for. But that's that's a reality of life.
2: And we're going to disagree because anybody that threatens somebody's wife, right, in order to get them to plead guilty, as far as I'm concerned, is an animal. You know, I always say this, and I've said this to you in private. Yeah, we've we'll talked like on life. set and yeah. CNN and dot dot yeah. dot. Where I turn and say, if I put a gun next to your loved one's head, I can get you to do anything that I want, time. and that's exactly what they did, and that's <laughs> just not proper, and it's not the way our system is supposed to work. But let me just move on for a quick second here, because the January 6th committee did the unprecedented thing and recently subpoenaed five members of the House. McCarthy, Jim the Pedophile Jordan, Mo the Schmuck Brooks, I mean that whole group of assholes, but it's largely symbolic. Do you not agree with that? Because they can't enforce these subpoenas. First of all, how come they can't, and why can't they figure out how to do something? My feeling, my feeling is, if you get subpoenaed and you choose
4: not to show up, you should lose your seat. It is entirely symbolic. Uh, For months and months and months, probably on this podcast with you, I've been saying, they need to subpoena McCarthy, Jordan, etc. even though they're members of Congress. And I know there's special rules for other members of Congress. These folks were central players. I mean, Kevin McCarthy was right in the middle of it, of January 6th. He had key conversations with Donald Trump. Jim Jordan spoke with Donald Trump on January 6th. Mo Brooks spoke at the rally. Uh, Scott Perry was trying to get into Do you know, get DOJ on board. What the committee did was they served those subpoenas, wonderful, but a month ago. You know, a month before these hearings start, when they had to know darn well, I wrote a piece about this, they have to know darn well that it was way too late for them to enforce these subpoenas. And so now we're seeing McCarthy and Jordan sort of brush them off with no consequence. What, how could they enforce their subpoenas? There's really two things they could do, but the, the time has run out as a practical matter on both of them. One, they could go to a federal judge and bring a lawsuit, essentially, and ask the judge to... Order these people to testify, and then if they don't, they can be held in real contempt—not contempt of Congress, contempt of court—and thrown in jail. That takes months and months and months. They—they they knew had, the committee had to know full well when they served these subpoenas in i think it was april or maybe it was uh, yeah it was april that they would never be able uh, i'm sorry it was may i believe they would never be able to get these enforced by the hearings which start next week um the other thing they can do is hold the uh hold the people in contempt as they did with steve bannon and mark meadows and and those others and send it over to doj for prosecution but that would never happen or June either. And by the way, I should note, you know, DOJ, like the hundreds, yes, they charged uh, Bannon with criminal the contempt.
5: They pretty clearly at this point are not, not going to charge Mark Meadows. They've
4: had that down referral down. for six plus months. This or Fino you know, or right Navarro. Why? I'm, I, I think bags. they're wrong. I'm going say that at the, the outset.
3: Parking, I think they're too timid. I think they don't
4: want. I think Merrick Garland does not want a political fight. There is a difference between being non-political, which the attorney general should be, and bending over backwards to avoid doing anything that's political, even if it's right and necessary. And I think that's where Garland has gone off the rails. He doesn't want tri- to a, a messy, ugly, legal fight. It's a more complicated case with, with Meadows and Scavino and Navarro because sure? they were in the Why? White House. and executive, uh, Because executive Why? privilege arguments. Why? because they'll, they'll have a better... Look, Steve Bannon has no objection. Then, then no problem. Right. Then no problem. Let them claim I executive That's privilege
2: at of, the uh, time. So, but was was you was and I And so, let, so and so, let so, a court then a make a determination so, so, so. because I remember yeah. listening yeah. to um, chairman Thompson, Benny Thompson, yeah. when yeah. he turned around and he yeah. said, yeah. we I'm urge our colleagues to comply with the law. Because it is if you get subpoenaed, you're showing up, right? do their patriotic duty. They are paid by the American people, there's not also, by Donald Trump, uh, and I don't door, give a shit about a break, their invitations and to mar a Lago, they have to do their patriotic duty like and time, cooperate so with and in their t- investigations, duty. right, as yeah, hundreds I mean. of other witnesses have already yeah, done, I mean. I mean, that's the bottom line, well, but they're him above, him above the law, do that's the problem with Donald Trump, he believes he's above the law, and all of his little sick of jerk-offs that are running around him, right, ding, 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 they're all sitting there running around Donald,
4: what are they doing? The they're pretending
2: the that work. they're Donald
4: also. To... They that they don't have to comply a with anything. There's yeah, the there's yeah, there's there's and let me remind you, McCarthy and Jordan they have and, a, and others, at first, we're well, well, very boldly said, said we have nothing so to they, hide. are happy. Well, then they got these fetas and they started going into their holes. And, you know,
5: I can't explain. She goes, no. You know, really for the reasons goes, she goes,
4: well, she goes, I, I said, I said, I said, about that? She goes, I said, dude, you said you to know, that? She goes, ah, well, 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 because I, guess, well, I'm well, so well, I you well, like, like it too much, you know. So I'm like, all right, all right,
5: well.
4: I'm like, yeah, well, I don't got enough money to buy everything. And then she got there right now, so I'm working it out. Like, right now, I'm going to work And then she just wants to get the She quite a bit of more than we could have afforded. reported. that high
5: He tells me me
4: some combination of they're afraid of testifying, they're afraid of maybe what they did or who they'd have to testify about. And I think they do remain beholden to to Trump. I mean, let's remember. Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy said to publicly, public that I think yeah, it was a week yeah. after so January 2nd, Donald Trump holds some responsibility uh, for what happened. Uh, and the, the most interesting thing to me is those McCarthy. Those There's a recording that we've all we'll since heard where McCarthy is saying so Donald Trump acknowledged to me, Kevin McCarthy, that he has some responsibility. That capital attack. Oh, now, that's a really admirable. interesting we'll and important open. piece of evidence. Well, if I'm a prosecutor, well, I would well. certainly want to talk to Kevin McCarthy about that. The general thing yeah, is, is going to have various end runs that uh, won't uh, be uh, available uh, to be uh, in, in a criminal court because they're not bound by yeah, rules of hearsay and that kind of thing. So they can just play the team of McCarthy saying that's what he said. Um, and I think they will do that. But you might pick up another one. Yeah, but it's just not the same thing. And I. Wait, wait, wait.
2: <laughs> just came back from the Hamptons. A right. friend of mine had us out to their house. It was nice Yeah have birthday party for you another you friend. Uh, it was right. out there. It okay. was not Pete Diddy. Um, I want see know, if I can find another one real quick. One of the quick. things that yeah, ahead, people ahead, constantly, constantly yeah, yeah. want to talk some to some about, dreams. and okay. honestly, sometimes, you know, if I um, have a weekend, or like this long Memorial Day weekend, yep. um, you, you really don't want to talk politics I almost don't even want to turn the television on simply (laughs) because it just doesn't end and you start the first question people ask is how come Mark Meadows is not in jail uh-huh. How come Dan Scavino has not been prosecuted for not complying? How
0: come Matt Gaetz is still Matt in office? He, he was caught in the, child sex it, trafficking. A year
2: and a half already that yeah. that's a pedophile, right? You have the guy Greenberg, who's already testified that he was party to this. You have the Venmo accounts. You have
4: everything that you need. And yet, where's the action? So, what's going? What's going on? I wrote, so I wrote point a piece is... about this last week about Gates, and I can give you my view on that. But yeah, I would love it. Keep going. Yeah. Okay, so the timing here is starting to cause me to scratch my head a little bit because I agree with you. Look, they have Joe Greenberg. Let, let's be clear. He, by All indications are he's cooperating. This guy is... From the prosecutor's perspective, maybe the worst single cooperating witness I've ever seen. I mean, like oh, I did cases where my star witness was a murderer, multiple murderer, mob guy. You know, I did mob cases. So I, I put murderers on the stand. You can do that because there's ways you can corroborate their testimony. I've had many cases where you they the testimony of murderers. But Jim Greenberg, the guy is a, a pedophile. He is admitted. He pled guilty to sex trafficking. minors. And... Worse than that, he has now yeah, admitted just figuring out there's like proceedings that he, in a totally like separate area, the, he had there was, that was some teacher who was, was, was going to challenge like 000, Joel Greenberg for a local what? office in he's Florida, Florida and Joel Green- Greenberg oh, cool. accused yeah. that teacher of being a be pedophile, like, of so having sex with students, so so and Greenberg is now admitting he lied. Now that's really he's because if he's going to testify about Gates, he will say the these same are, thing about that mes- games, I mean, well, you lied about one trees. guy being a pedophile, but, Beans. let me say this, I still do think mesquite? that they have enough backup and for Joel Reber, but then you referenced the Venmo record, and and they have other uh, witnesses, yeah. they have the an ex-girlfriend, and, and the emails, the text messages, they're messages they're and so on. The timing is really I'm getting up. to be questionable. It's DOJ, one thing that's clear is they move very, very slowly. I got from the SDOI, I can't believe it, but... Greenberg pled guilty over a year ago. And I know prosecutors, people say, well, they want to make sure they have everything locked down. Okay, yes, but a year is more than enough time. If if, if I was supervising at the U.S. Attorney's Office and someone who was running the Gates case came to me, he said, well, we're still working. I would say, okay, look, six months in, I would have said, you got to either fish or cut bait here. Let's do this. Um, The weird thing that happened, and the interesting thing that happened is the judge on Joel Greenberg's case a couple weeks ago um, said, so there was a sentencing date. Now, typically with cooperators, those sentencing dates get pushed all the way to the end until after they've testified in trials. It can be months, it can be years. I've had guys testify, uh, excuse me, sentenced years after they cooperated. This judge said, I'm not willing to postpone his sentencing, Joel Greenberg sentencing, anymore unless you prosecutors can show me extraordinary circumstances, quote-unquote. Prosecutors put in a brief under seal. We didn't see it. And the judge said, okay, you satisfied me. So and that can mean one trouble? of two things. Yeah. That can mean scenario one, yeah. Joe Greenberg there's has given us prosecutors square, like, so much information. Yeah, I mean we have, have so much investigation to do that we just oh, need yeah. more and time. Maybe,
3: right? yeah, there's some if, nice if it,
0: Hello?
4: you know, a year is a lot of time. And, and if it's they're taking them more than a year, they the need to step on it a little bit. Scenario two, I think the less likely scenario, but possible, is something's gone wrong. And prosecutors don't know what to do. You know, cooperation blows up sometimes, it doesn't work out, and they're trying to figure out what to do. If that's the case, there's not going to be a charge in all likelihood. I guess there still could be, but on Matt Gates, I still do think Matt Gates will get indicted, but the amount of time it's taking and the other bumps that have, have come up... I think it's gonna be it's going to
2: be a tough case for you, Yeah, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what else you would actually need other than video of him with these underage
5: yeah, girls talking
2: it. about how yeah. they brought them over state yeah. lines and so on. How you how have all The documentary evidence. You know, yeah. and this is a yeah, this is a yeah, thing you and I have talked about many times we disagree on this I fundamentally. Okay I don't believe that the job of a prosecutor yeah, a of my, is a to convict. My, uh, Prosecute yes. the I fucking gave you feedback, I put it in the back. Did I hide that it in here? You gave it to me, and I did to it. Joel and then I put Greenberg it in the center. Lies about everything else in the, in the world. I don't care. Right now, What's it's up? beautiful. The sky is Come blue. Floor, I don't give a shit if no Joel Greenberg it, says it's gray. It's snowing out it in the middle of June. June. I don't care. It yeah, doesn't mean anything to me. He's got Venmo. He's got receipt back of the money. He has the text
1: messages.
2: You have the girls that were brought over underage. As far as I'm concerned, yeah, but they're not a right first-year out-of-school oh, law student with no the criminal school. experience position at go? all should be able us? to take this case home. And somebody like Matt Gates should never be allowed to okay. question someone like Katanji Brown-Jackson, right, who's, you know, being nominated at that time for Supreme Court. They, should not be wearing the pin of a member of Congress. I mean, this yeah, is my opinion.
4: So this is the dilemma small. for They did do whatever they want. And they do, then they can verify that I DOJ has this long-standing them. policy that they're they, to they to will pay not indict a big political case no, or do something have like, have like, like search Michael Cohen or whoever's office. Something obviously going know, to have political implications within either sixty or ninety days of an election. Different, oddly. Half of us think it's 60, yeah, half of you know, us you know, think it's 90, of, uh, whatever. Uh, 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 but 90 you know, days you know, out from oh, this midterm you know, would be early night August. Night and, and so if they're going to indict that I mean, case, it's either I mean, going to be, be by or before, between, between now and early August, okay, or it's after, it's after the, the midterms, terms, terms, which is really, really getting, really getting really down the line. on the flip side, and I've been in this situation. If you're a prosecutor, and you know, it's very likely you're going to be indicted an elected official, don't you have a duty to announce that as quickly as humanly possible? Oh, one. So the person oh, one. doesn't stand for re-election in the primary, the system primary system in the general. System. Don't you owe it your, uh, the to the American public? Or In um, my case, ODD I dealt with two, this in New Jersey. We had, we had an ODD instance ODD where a member of the but assembly it, uh, here, were, we knew I we do, were going to charge, and we were coming up on the deadline day for primaries. And so we sort of expedited it and made sure we got the case out. He ended up pleading guilty before primaries. So there's sort of been a timing squeeze. The other thing is that you touch on that is right as a matter of strategy is As a prosecutor, whenever you have a cooperator, especially a vile cooperator like Joel Reberg, you never want to have to argue to the jury. You should believe this is true because Joel Reberg said you want to borrow mine. You, you know this is true because the Venmo records say so, because the recordings say so, because other more reliable witnesses say so, it. and what Joel Greenberg did is he came in here and he explained it for you, he, 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 he gave you the context, he tied it all together, but really the stars in the case are the documents and the tapes, and that kind of thing, Greenberg's just sort of there to give, you know, that's the better way to pitch a case, but you gotta have that other proof, but yeah, a year is, is look, I, it's just too long, and um... And people are getting tired
2: and we're getting yep. that whole, we're going right back into that? Trump fatigue. You know, and it's just like, oh my God, enough already. When is somebody going to be held accountable for their dirty deeds? See, so yeah, that's the whole thing. So let me yeah, ask yeah, you this: Since we're talking about dirty deeds, how do you think it's going to go for Mark Meadows with all that the January 6th committee now has on him? I mean, because there's critical testimony now coming from Cassidy Hutchinson, <laughs> right, his former aide, and I know no, about that. I mean, where Hutchinson covered new him. ground in her recent deposition yeah. with the uh, You know, with the committee,
4: would you do me a favor and expand on that for my listeners? I have have a visual aid that happens to be three feet away from me that I'm going to grab in a second, okay? It's a Mark Meadows, the referral on Mark Meadows was sent over to DOJ. So, let's step back here. Mark Meadows gets a subpoena for the January 6th committee. Initially, he complies. He gives them these texts and other information. 2319, to be exact. Then, for, for reasons that we don't exactly know, he does a 180. He has a complete change of heart, and he says, "I'm out. I'm not cooperating anymore." The January 6th Committee then holds him in contempt. The full House of Representatives holds him in contempt, and on I think it's December 14th, sends the case
5: over to how DOJ for potential now prosecution. In jail after now, here's how long
4: that has been. I have a it. where I was on CNN once, and I wanted to make the point of how long DOJ was taking. To decide on Mark Meadows, and so I wrote I'm here. Fucking podcast. December fourteenth. That was right. You know, arrow?
2: Question mark. Security breaches. And listen, we're still listening and to. Called foul.
5: Maya Coba.
2: The security at the Capitol is a critical part of the investigation. But the Capitol didn't attack itself. Trump did, said a spokesman for Cheney. Well, Liz Cheney lost her leadership position this
1: week criticizing Trump. Here to comment is Liz Cheney.
2: Come <laughs> <Hey> on everyone. <laughs> Thank you for being here. It's been quite a week for you.
5: That's right. I was kicked out of the Republican Party. I fell down to hell like Lil Nas X, fracked with the devil, and bounced back up onto MSNBC. <laughs> Calling the Republican Party is changing. I don't know what happened. Cheney,
2: one of nine members, has proved more aggressive than even some committee Democrats in her willingness to go after Donald Trump. She supports subpoenaing members of her own party and pressures former Trump aides to cooperate. According to the Washington Post, her unsparing and legal-minded approach toward Trump and the attack on the Capitol has distinguished her work on the panel. Colleagues say she's the most well-read and prepared lawmaker on the panel. One saying she's a pit bull. Jamie Raskin, who's emerged as the committee's hype man, said last week that the hearings will be dramatic and including explosive Revelations that the panel has been piecing together behind the scenes for months and will tell a story that will really blow the roof off the house. I just hope that that's true. Captivating the hyper polarized yes, American it, public is gonna be a feat, but having some of the hearings televised nationally during prime time should definitely help. Yes. Yes son, he lost to suicide in 2020. voted the New Yorker's Person of the Year in 2021. He openly ridiculed Time Magazine's Person of the Year, Elon Musk, saying, and I quote, I speak for no one except myself, but is this the moment to valorize a supposed man of science who cast doubt on the COVID vaccines? Might as well give the accolade to Eric Clapton. He also called out Marjorie Taylor Greene's lies on the House floor in fucking
5: spectacular fashion. And I was willing to believe that the distinguished gentlelady lady from Georgia and several other members were isolated in their conference. Now I'm starting to think that maybe they're speaking for the whole conference. Well, I, I wonder if my good friend from Pennsylvania would explicitly repudiate some of these statements made by the gentlelady lady from Georgia. The... the Minority Conference agreed that NATO is supplying the, quote, neo-Nazis in Ukraine with powerful weapons? Does the distinguished gentleman from Pennsylvania support or dissociate himself from the argument that the aid that we send to Ukraine falls, quote, into the hands of Nazis? A statement made by the general lady from Georgia echoing Putin's filthy claim that his war on the sovereign democracy of ukraine is in fact an attempt to denazify the country and of course we hear distinct echoes in everything that we get ...from the erudite gentlelady from Georgia. If they're interviewing more than a thousand witnesses
2: over nine months, the committee knows a thing or two. According to Vanity Fair, what emerges from the most recent batch of text messages released by the committee is not a group of brilliant conspirators, but rather a bunch of overgrown children play-acting as revolutionaries. The coup didn't start with the insurrection. It didn't even start with the early claims of voter fraud that would have immediately disappeared if Trump had won in 2020. Trump had been a liar and a cheat his entire fucking life. And you think that after the chaos and death and destruction that happened during the Capitol riot, it would end there. But it didn't. Far from it. Like a cocaine lab rat. They just don't stop. They still can't. Big lie has done immeasurable damage to our democracy and corrupted our faith in our most basic fundamental right, and that's the right to vote. Allies of Donald Trump are trying to remove
4: some of the guardrails that prevented him from overturning the 2020 election. Now, according to the Post, Trump and his supporters are pushing a plan to place loyalists in key election posts, from poll watchers and precinct judges to county clerks and state attorneys general. We have to be a lot sharper the next time when it comes to counting the votes. The famous statement sometimes the vote counter
2: is more important than the candidate and we can't let that ever ever happen again they have to get tougher and smarter but maybe the january 6 hearings can begin to turn that around oh and newsflash. The Department of Justice has requested all the committee's transcripts of behind closed door interviews with Trumps in a circle. So fingers crossed they'll be used as evidence in existing criminal cases or to pursue new ones. But the fact that it's happening even before the hearings get started is a fairly good sign. So stay tuned. Hi, baby. for the main event today we welcome to our show jack a gen z activist digital strategist and budding political commentator Jack interned for the Lincoln Project and hosts his own podcast called Zoomed In on Midas Touch. You can also follow him on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. We'll find him working alongside candidates like Florida gubernatorial candidate Charlie Chris and Marjorie Taylor Greene's Democratic opponent, Marcus Flowers. If Jack's bio seems sort of short, it's because he's only a sophomore at Columbia University studying poli-sci. But the kid's doing amazing work with his fellow students. He's helping to engage young people in current political issues and fight for positive change. He's also in the middle of finals week, and he took a break to do our show. So let's go now to that conversation with Jack Cochorella. Okay, so Jack, I got to ask you these questions because you're a young guy. Are people your age going to go out there and finally vote? I mean... Are there efforts to mobilize the vote, to go door to door? I mean, Generation X and millennials combined actually make up the largest voting bloc in history. So what I'm asking is, is your generation ready to save the world? Because I'm sorry to say, you know, you you guys are really going to be the ones that are going to have to do it. All you have to do is look at the shit that's going on, turn on the news on any given day. What say you?
1: Yeah, and we understand that. We see that this is going to fall on us, and we're ready to take on that challenge. In 2020, we saw some of the biggest turnout numbers for millennials, Gen X, Gen Z. We saw young people coming out. Young people. Gen Z is going to be an even bigger part of the electorate this year. And we know, we know that showing up matters. We have seen attacks on our high schools. We have seen attacks on our middle schools, elementary schools from Republicans across the country. We know what issues are at stake. And now we're ready to turn out to vote, our generation is more engaged than any other at, at this time. Thank I, think. God. I think we already I think we are ready to participate. I think we are ready to call on the others that are in gen z to go out and vote and yet there are efforts across the country you know this generation started off getting involved in politics in 2020 and uh, in, and in, I, I always like to say this is the start this is when gen z knew that we could change the world At trump's rally in oklahoma when he said that he was going to sell millions of tickets it was going to be huge everyone was going to show up and, and Gen Z was buying up all these tickets because you could just reserve them online. We, we kind of had this effort on TikTok, on Twitter, all across social media. He was like, we're going to embarrass Donald Trump at his first rally back, and he was saying that you know he was going to have all these people at his rally, and then no one showed up, and he was completely embarrassed. <laughs> at that point, we were like, okay, we just embarrassed the president of the United States. Like nobody. What do we do now? And what we did is we turned people out to vote. And, and we, could, we could see it.
2: We could see the impact. But now we know we have to step up even more. Yeah, so let, let me say this. As a guy who worked for the former president, uh, both in an individual capacity and then as personal attorney to the president, and probably spent more time with him than virtually anyone, you can't embarrass him. The guy's a that fucking narcissistic did that who doesn't understand look the term embarrassed. You know, right. it's funny because there's this case that I face. was forced to testify, was subpoenaed to testify. Uh, it's called Galizia. And one of the face. things that I had said was Donald is basically obsessed with the notion of getting hit in the face with a pie.
0: So or, um, hit him in the so face a pie
2: or a cupcake pie or something like that. And What's amazing, right, is that this happened to Bill Gates. That would embarrass him. But the okay. fact that nobody showed up to his rally, he'll still turn around and he'll still come off and say the same bullshit. It was the greatest, it was the greatest rally it ever. It was the biggest rally. It was the biggest. People. Quite frankly, there's nobody there. All right, nobody gets a crowd like like nobody gets crowds like Trump. Right? <laughs> and you sit there and you say to yourself, fuck are you talking about the place was empty <laughs> so that's not what's needed from folks your age jack all right now you know i'm going to refer because i'm a little older i've right, been as being a part of that baby boomer which is where i guess i fit into but there was a pew research poll going back to 2016 and in that research poll remember this is still six years ago now there's an estimated 62 million millennials all right, that's ages 20 to 35 U.S. citizens who are part of this voting block. I suspect it's actually more now. It could be 65, 66 million. Even like with this podcast, Mayor Culpa, which, again, it's a podcast, but I like to call it the Mayor Culpa podcast movement. We don't really see the millennials as the listeners into this podcast, what is it that you guys are actually doing (laughs) that you're too busy to listen to podcasts that you're too busy, you know, to get out there? Because with all due respect, I don't see the millennials doing what's needed in order to save the country. We can no longer leave it to the octogenarians. Right. Mm. And I, and I'm, look, I'm very pleased that Joe Biden is the president versus Trump that's a hundred percent for certain am I thrilled with everything that he's doing no am I okay with a lot of the things that he's doing and agree absolutely but I think we need some younger blood and not younger blood like Josh Hawley who's a fucking moron <laughs> or you get uh, you know like we the don't Warren Bur- 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 we don't sure. we don't we don't need any more Madison Cawthorne for sure How how do we how do we energize your base is really what I'm looking for. What do I have to do in order to get out there and to get more folks like you activated? Because that's what we need. We not to embarrass Trump. We need to have a voting block. Of like and I tried to do this with Mayor, with Maya Cole all the time you know we're doing like 1.3 million downloads right you know come on I don't I'm not happy with that. I want 13 million downloads because you get numbers like that and then it becomes 25 million and 50 you're a, you're not just a, a voting block you're a decision maker mm-hmm. and when you start seeing people, who are fucking crazy. Like, I don't know if you saw this um, on TikTok. Ted Cruz was being um, questioned by a great journalist. I've never spoken to him from Sky News. Sky News. I just saw that. I just saw oh that right now. Oh my god. What a fucking fool and a coward to sit there and you know, as he lays hand on him, oh, you know, I understand your political agenda. The fuck is he talking about? Political agenda. There's 21 dead people. Children. Children. And he says that, he goes, these are all parents that are never going to be able to tuck their kids in at night and, and kiss them goodnight. Fuck you, Ted. Alright? And I hope he listening to this fuck you a thousand times on behalf of every kid who has died as a direct result of one of these ar-15 lunatics right fuck you ted what do we do to activate your generation your group of millennials so i saw that interview which was an incredible interview and and it was
1: important because the reporter said why why does this only happen in america and ted cruz wouldn't answer the question they keep they kept pressing and kept pressing and kept pressing which is what we need to be doing. But I saw that interview on TikTok, which is where most of my generation is getting our, our news, our information, and learning about politics. And that's what was so important about that Trump rally. Now, embarrassing Trump isn't going to do anything because, like you said, he can't sure, be embarrassed. But what we realized in that moment during the pandemic is Gen Z is on. Awesome. We can affect change online, we can come together online and really make a movement happen. We didn't have the power, the political power before to to really organize at the level that we are right now. Because it was always, oh, you're too young, take a step back, maybe you'll have your time later. We don't really need you. we'll we'll maybe listen, but you're not gonna really be a part of this decision-making. You're not gonna be telling people what to do. But now we have been empowered our generation because of the reach that we have online, not only with people uh, who are involved with politics right now, but you know, don't kids know, our age who want to know what they can do. How can they yes. help? Because we are exposed to these areas. I
3: think Curtis these are tobacco what plants.
1: What of shit. What can I do? And then we're right there tobacco to tell plants? you what you can yeah, do. We are too. the most I'm informed too. and the most politically mm-hmm. active generation What's there Alfredo, is. Or? And we are so ready to be a part of this Why movement. And there are, are, are incredible, tobacco, incredible you know? groups like Gen Z for Change, Voters of Tomorrow, yeah, Fearless Action, who are out there used
3: like, ceremonial
1: purposes. Knocking more doors than it could have in 2020 because of the pandemic. And and sending more messages via TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. All over the place are we talking to people right now. And we're energized because we see what needs to happen. It's happening in our high schools. These are some issues of, you know, well, what's going on with... What's happening in Washington? What's Donald Trump and Joe Biden? What are they talking about? No, we've seen... Ron DeSantis attacking the kids that we go to school A bunch with. Of them. And we're ready to vote. <laughs> we know how important these issues are. We know how pressing they are. Nothing, no issue has, has united and empowered Gen Z to act more than climate. Because we know that it is our future. But what else we know is our future is what's going to happen to the people we go to school with in high school and how they are being silenced, how they're being oppressed, how they're being held down. By these bigoted Republican governors across the country, and we're not going to put up with it. Hmm. And we know we have the power to change.
3: It. He's a young the power person, to young people,
1: protest that we have across the country in support of calling out these laws,
2: and that's what we're going to do at the ballot box in November. Well, let me ask you. Okay, so you bring up climate. Totally agree with you. I mean. Science, despite the fact that Trump doesn't believe in science, right? I mean, he didn't believe in science. He questioned science when it came to the COVID pandemic. He he doesn't believe in science, despite the fact that he had an uncle. I have an uncle who's like a great scientist with MIT. I've I've never gotten the Guy's full name, uh, and I can't find him online, but I'm going to take – I can't take Donald's word for it. His fucking lying just about everything, all right? But I think your generation – right, should be equally concerned, not just with climate, but with the economy and the massive fucking debt that baby boomers and, you know, and then the, uh, what do you call them? Gen X's, right? Um, the debt that we're leaving what a to show. your, yeah. to your group and to and your eventual children's, you know, um, group. I don't know how you get out from underneath this sort of debt. I think the statistic is 52 cents of every single dollar that's earned just goes to pay the interest. Now, of course, that was when interest was at zero. I'm curious whether it's how much more it'll go up now that interest rates are rising and so on. But how do you ever get out from underneath the economy? And that's what, look, your generation, the
0: the Come
2: intelligence on young is so significant. You start to see, as you know, as um, new generations, let's you know, put out to pasture the older generations. You have different types of experience. You have uh, the internet. You have you know so much more in terms of whether yes, social media and so. on, But the intelligence, the ability to learn, and um, is just—it's really truly fantastic. What we really need is folks your age getting involved, getting
1: active, running
2: for, not for (laughs) Congress, not for Senate or governor, right? Um, I'm talking about the lower position, city council, to do exactly what the Republicans are doing so that we can ensure that somebody like Jack Couturella, Right, That you start out in a city council position, and then you move up, and then you ultimately become mayor, and then a governor, and then a senator, or a congressman, and then you ultimately, by the time that you're in your late 40s, early 50s, the way like Barack Obama did, and then you ultimately become president. And that way, you know, you, nobody's talking about your energy level, or whether or not that you're you know, um, mentally coherent. Right. Uh, Because you make one mistake. I mean, it's truly amazing the way that the media, especially the right wing media, they jump all over Biden if he says anything the same way that they jumped on George Bush the other day when instead of talking about Ukraine, you know, he mentioned Iraq. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, It was it was a flub. People make flubs all the time. That happens to be a stupid one. But how do we get your generation? Hey, you know, it's a. I keep focusing on this because I don't have the answer to it, and I'm looking to somebody like yourself for
1: some of these answers. Yeah, and there is an incredible organization called the Run for Something that has been engaging, uh, you know, people who would not previously even consider themselves able to run for office. Get out and run, and it's not just for you know higher positions in Congress, but it is at the state and city level. It is running for school board. It is running for city council. It's running for these positions that really matter and are going to really have an impact and show the young people that they can get involved. There are young people in Florida, and it is incredible who are now running for school board positions because they see how important they are and they see how important this local level of politics is. And the effect that it's had on them in high school. And something that, you know, President Biden isn't perfect, but something that I think has really helped engage young people um, in a way that gets them more attentive and excited about being involved in politics is that President Biden will at least listen, and he'll listen and act. So when the end of the um, student debt uh, repayment the moratorium was going to end with, paying student loans was about to kick back in. Young people everywhere had their voices heard we said no we have to extend this we know the pandemic is over people are still struggling it you know we've it's been not doing over this for a year and a half now and the economy hasn't collapsed i think we can continue you know to extend this moratorium to keep these payments paused people are not ready to come back and pay we just the pandemic's not over people are still struggling and president biden listened to us and he extended that and we've called for president biden To cancel even up to like the ten thousand dollars that he promised in student debt. And and that looks like it is going to be happening hopefully soon. But we know that he'll listen. And I think that I think that that more than anything is the most important thing that President Biden has been able to do for our generation is show that he'll listen to what we have to say and and act on it, which he has. And so because of that, I think we're gonna be I think we're seeing that we can actually get involved and make something happen.
2: Okay, so then let me ask you this, because Biden is down in the polls, particularly with Generation X voters. Now, we know that the White House messaging is for shit, all right? I say that all the time. It's not just the White House messaging is for shit, but the whole DNC, right? Uh, and And I talk about Jamie Harrison all the time. It's just for shit. The Democrats in general really need a PR overhaul, something that... We try to do here on Mayor Culp or something, obviously, I know that you tried to do. But what do you think Biden can do to turn things around? I mean, you know, obviously, canceling school debt is certainly one thing. Is that something that would get young progressives out to vote simply just by canceling school debt? It's got to be bigger than that.
1: That would be a tremendous step because we understand the limitations of what All he has to Biden do is forgive student debt no win. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema have fucked up a lot of this agenda. And we understand that you know what? Sometimes we have to compromise. And and we don't really want to because we turned out in massive numbers in twenty twenty. And we organized the hell out of Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. We did everything we could. And so, but we understand that there needs to be a compromise, but President Biden is acting on the promises that he made, and, and that is, it is at least showing us that he's listening to what we need as young people, to so what's going to help young people. And not just us, but it will completely change for the better and start making an impact on some of these you know, racial wealth disparities, wealth inequality, and in the time. it's an important step forward for millions of Americans. And so, no, that's not the only thing that President Biden could be doing because there is lots of action that needs to be taken. But, again, we just need to show, he just needs to show that we're being heard because we are actively participating in this process for him. And, and he needs to show that he is engaging with us as well. But, no, there's absolutely more to be done. But, but we understand that it's going to take probably 51, 52, 53 votes in the Senate. And, and so really what has been, like you said, the leniency is kind of shit. And we know that. And we know that they're not going to be the ones turning out young people. It's be really young people turning out young people. And we understand that it's upon us to have this message in. We understand that it's upon us to go out and register voters, to talk to voters, to keep people engaged, to keep people caring. And they do. And they understand how important this election is going to be for us getting even the just the most basic needs of what going to make this country better for young people. But we understand that. And so the messaging has fallen on us, and it's going to continue to. And so we know that. But just listening and engagement for President Biden is what we want the most basic level, because we understand that there's nothing that we can really do about Pearson and system
2: right now. No, but actually, you can. See, that's the whole point, going back to that Pew research. You guys are the biggest voting bloc that's out there, and there are some great young people like yourself that are out there and pushing you assholes out of office let me ask you now you're a florida native correct born in florida all right florida. now so here's what we know right the nra is extremely strong in florida and in all fairness the nra is even stronger now in florida now that the entire trump family moved down there mm-hmm. right you know you can rest assured of that now you recently tweeted about how much Marco Rubio takes in, I'm talking about money, from the NRA. But Parkland, the Pulse nightclub, it seems like Floridians would be tired of these mass shootings by now. I know I am. I can't watch television anymore. I mean, what are the Democrats doing, especially your age group? What are they doing there to figure this out? I mean, Val Demings is an excellent candidate. Do you think that she could win? We need to do something. Yeah, and so, absolutely, we have examples of how gun violence has affected us all across the state, and so what needs to happen is we need to look at the polls that are coming out that the 88%,
1: 90%, 92% of Americans support some common sense gun reform, some common sense gun reform have that talking point because what democrats usually do is they just get scared and run. They run from the issues that we can win on. They run talk about the issue of abortion. They talk they they run away from talking about gun reform. I think that you know you'll see Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio or Rick Scott gonna say, Oh, so you just want to take our guns away? And obviously that is not the proposal that we're putting forward. But Democrats just get scared and they just run from the issue, even though the issue is on our side. Like young people, we're pragmatic. Gen Z is pragmatic. We understand the nuance of these issues. And so we can have the conversation of, you know, we understand that, you know, some people really care about their Second Amendment rights. They, They value it so much that they are willing to apparently let children all across the country die. But your Second Amendment rights only go so far. Right, your Second Amendment rights should not allow the mass slaughter of children every day. And we understand that there are some common sense gun reforms that we can have to prevent 18-year-olds from being able to buy two AR-15s and get hundreds of rounds of ammo in in a day, with, without any, without any questions asked, without any training, anything, and still to carry it openly. So we understand that there are some easy reforms that can be made. There are two bills that were passed by the House of Representatives years ago that have just been sitting around because the Senate doesn't want to act. And we all know that we basically kind of have unanimous agreement that these are positive reforms. And so these are the discussions we need to be having. We can't let Republicans muck it up as they always do and make this a conversation that Democrats just get scared of.
2: This isn't just mucking it up, Jack. Jack, this is not just mucking it up. All right, this is this is a whole lot more than that. This this goes way beyond, right? Their behavior is the Second Amendment is sacrosanct. It's as it's look. It's the Second Amendment, right? It's it's as sacrosanct as the First Amendment. Your right to free speech is your right. Not and I talk about this all the time on Mayor Culpa. I was licensed to carry a firearm, a concealed firearm, in the city of New York. There's like a thousand people who had that license. I lost it because the president got his pecker pulled by a porn star. That's really <laughs> what I was, what I was charged with. Most of it was fucking bullshit. But I lost my right to carry, um, you know. And I have no issues with the Second Amendment. I have a lot of issues with AR-15. That is a weapon that belongs on a battlefield, that does not belong in anyone's home. it does not, you know, and it's something, I have goosebumps, I have goosebumps when I was thinking about this, because I was watching television, and now they're taking DNA from parents at the school.
1: There should be no weapon that anyone owns this weapon that should be able to... Thank you. Disgusting. But Thank you can't you. even identify who they are. Who is that protector? What do you need that for? What are weapons of war doing in the hands of
2: 18 year olds? What's it's it doing in the hands hand hand of any civilian? I don't any. Care. I'm don't i 55. Jeff, I'm 55. i never wanted to fire an AR 15. And I've had 40s, 40, 45s. I've had, you know, 9mm, 387s. I've had them all right, I had a 10-gauge shotgun, a 12-gauge shotgun, I understand, I've had them all, I have no interest in shooting or owning an AR-15, I just don't, I don't understand, what are you going to do, you're going to go out there shoot a deer, by the time you finish shooting it, there's nothing you're left of me, nothing left, no, it doesn't make any sense,
1: it is so completely unnecessary and a trade-off of, I don't even know what, for just to like, I, I don't I don't know why any, first of all, I don't know why anyone would want to own one. I, I can't get a reason. I've never had one that actually made sense. And then if
2: you can see Small Big Gun. Very good. I mean that's really what it's about. And every single shooting
1: how many times do we have to say to shoot in, Air fifteen, air fifteen, air fifteen, air fifteen. Every one of them back to back days, back to back weeks, every single we one. Oh, well, there's nothing that we can do about this issue. Well, then why does it only happen here? And why does it only happen with these weapons? I, I think that's pretty clear. I think that's pretty clear. And, and that's it's why very run, clear. And, and, that's we do it. and that's why we can't run, we can't run away from these issues. I remember there was nothing Democrats were more afraid of in 2020 than Republicans saying that Democrats wanted to be And anytime any time, they got scared and they ran away from the issue. Right. They didn't address, it. they didn't talk about police violence. They didn't talk about the reforms that to be made to protect communities and police officers, or just the sense reforms that we could But what I remember is in a debate between Kelly Leclerc Raphael Warner, Kelly Leclerc said, you are, you know, when she was going on a rant of, you know, my radical socialist communist, she was just throwing buzzwords, opponent, Raphael Warner, who wanted to defund the police? He said, well, actually, I don't want to defund the police. I think there are reforms that we can make that will make our communities safer and our police officers safer. But actually, my opponent, Kelly Leffler, she has voted to defund the police. Because when there was a bill to fund state police officers to fund the state department, she voted against it. She's voted against anything, any, any any sort of bill to help our state, any sort of package. She voted against it. So that is who the key running your police department. And that's what we need to do as Democrats. We can't just run from these issues. We need to show where Republicans are blatantly wrong. It's because they are. Because our are
5: typical of every single issue. We should be running from these issues. We should be flipping them on Republicans. And that
2: and that's what Yeah, when I saw, like, Lauren Goldberg with her family at Christmas and Christmas card all holding AR-15s, I want to find it. I fucking hate them. But speaking about people who I can't stand, right? I know you hate Ron DeSantis. I mean, who doesn't? I I know I do. And I think you're working with um with Charlie Crist, right? Um and Marcus Flowers, who's running against Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia. But what is really what's really going on in Florida, right? What's the temperature with voters? And and I have a lot to say about this, you know, because there's been a lot of redistricting. How do you think it's going to go now that you have all of this redistricting? Because Republican voter turnout all across the South. Has been huge. I mean, it really has. It's been huge. Yeah, what to do? And so that's
1: why right now, particularly because Florida has such a late primary compared to other states. Democrats need to come together now. We need to stop fighting with each other, especially in, in this gubernatorial primary. We need to stop fighting with each other. Who is allowing kids to be killed in schools? Who is attacking our children? Who is attacking our teachers? Who has let tens of thousands of Floridians die? Who is one of the worst governors in America? needs to be the issue. We need to talk about what Republicans are doing wrong. We need to unite in these primaries. They are competitive primaries that we have across the state, and Democrats are running to be the nominee, but there's no reason we should be running against each other. We should be talking about what we are going to be putting forward, and that's what needs to happen right now. So that's the first thing. If party in Florida is the reason we are never able to be successful as a Democratic party, People have largely given up on Democrats sort of. in Florida. I see it. Everyone talking about, and you know, rightfully so, how we can win in Pennsylvania, how we can win in Wisconsin, how we can win in Ohio. And, you know,
2: Florida's getting left
1: behind,
2: and I don't think it should. You know, but Should, it sense. should. Look at, look at, look at how many electoral votes. Florida, Florida exactly. tends to be the deciding state in virtually exactly. every election. Does it, does it but it makes sense because Democrats have failed so many times. But what is that?
1: This is a, a perfect time to rectify what we have done wrong as a party. And again, we need to be talking about the issues that people can understand. We need to talk about how ridiculous it is that teachers are being fired for, talking about who they are married to? That books are being banned, but not weapons of war? That, you know, we feel just couldn't be by our governor,
2: and that's our focus? Don't, don't I, say, don't say gay. Right, the big focus. fight now with, the big fight now with fucking Mickey Mouse? Serious? So that's, what that's what he's focused on. And I, I live in Central Florida, so all that debt, that's going to fall on me. It's
1: going to be, I think the number was about like $3,500 a year in new taxes that people in Central Florida are going to be having to pay. It's, Ron DeSantis decided he wanted to go to war and fucking Mickey Mouse? It's like, we need to be saying, look what's happening in our schools. That's happened here. And you know what Ron DeSantis is focused on? He's focused on family books and keeping kids from standing things in schools. He wants to censor their language, what they can say, who they can see. Like, that's what he's worried about. And we need to make it crystal clear. That these are the issues that matter. But I think Democrats do a lot of the time is they say, Okay, what are people talking about? Right? I even if you're out in election, election, of the way, what are people caring about? Well you know, what's the hot topic of? Side are and that's gonna change by November. What do you need to be doing the thing? As Democrats, this is what we care about. This is what's important to all of us, And we need to be talking about issues. Every single Democrat should be saying Republicans voted to cap the price of insulin at $35 a month. Every single time we talk, we need to be talking about that. Republicans want to stop a woman from having autonomy over her body. Every single time. Democrats talk. That's what we need to be talking about. Republicans voted against providing baby formulas for mothers to create not access them. $28 million they were unwilling to spend to help mothers across this country. We need to be talking about that. These are the issues that we need to be talking about. We can't let Republicans drive our agenda. We need to be the ones doing And that's where we're failing. We're allowing them to to twist all of the issues that they want, and then we get scared when they don't give us just well and just run away. I'm not just getting tired of Democrats doing I'm just being scared right? I'm not fighting for them. Uh, i not tearing, not showing up. And that's what needs to change more than anything. That's what needs to change.
2: We need to start fucking showing up. Yeah, you know, I was just down in Miami. Uh, my son just graduated from the Herbert Business School, University of Miami. And while we were walking around and so on, for the most part, uh, the your, your generation, the younger folks, you know, they would come over. They would ask them to take a, an Instagram photo. They would say, you know, thank you for fighting for us and so on. But every now and then. Um, I would get young folks start screaming at me, and more people, um, more my age, um, you know, would also just start screaming at me, you know, you're a piece of shit, you know, you're a fucking rat, you're, a, you know, you're a traitor, and all that, and I sit there, and I scratch my head, and I say, look, um, I, I, can't, I can't argue, and I can't fight with you, I'm still on paper, because I have, you know, like this... Judge, in his infinite wisdom, this Judge Pauli, William H. the III, decide I should also, on top of everything, have three years of supervised release. So I'm in a real stand down position. I'm going to argue with you absolutely. I'm a traitor because I paid, at the direction for the benefit of the former president, um, I paid $130,000 to an affair that he has, that he still, of course, refuses to acknowledge because um, he thinks that. You know, Melania believes him, which of course she does. But I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm always curious, especially when the younger folk take on the positions of Iran to say this. I don't understand it, because we talked about it. Climate, economy, you know, baby, don't say gay, AR-15, Second Amendment, NRA money. I mean, these are the things that I would like to see the DNC. I would like to see, you know, more people than just myself. I'm just one person. I'm only just one person. And I'm looking for a lot of people
3: to to sit there like
2: the Lincoln Project does or Project Democracy or Midas Touch. Uh, I want to see you know, especially your generation, start getting out there. And the same way that Trump was able to fill stadiums, Frank, right? with his bullshit, with his life, with his fucking theatrics, we have to kind of do the same thing. You see, that's how he was successful. He basically said to you, I'm not a politician. I'm a billionaire businessman. And what I can do, nobody else can. I'm not in the pockets of anybody, which turned out to be bullshit. He's in the pockets of basically everybody, especially considering all of his buddies, especially the Mar-a-Lago clan. Um, I mean, they all pulled down billions by stealing off PPP. That money being stolen, you know who's going to be paying that back? You! You! I have a few more years of work and then I'm ready to, I'm ready to, you know, find the community and die there, right? This is all going to fall on your back. And that's why you guys should be angry and, and mobilized and motivated because people like you actually have to get out there and you have to start to help to make the difference, which again, your voting block can change everything. Absolutely. And, and that's what we're stressing is that that's true. That is true.
1: That we can actually affect change. And for the first time I think we're actually really starting to do that. And so that go back to what we were first talking about the beginning of the pod. That you when know, when we when we had the buying up all the tickets for the Trump rally and trying to embarrass them, no one showed up. That was the first moment when we thought, okay, so we could actually make something happen. We we can do something. From kind of just sitting in our room, and we had to sit in our room at that time because it's COVID. What else are we going to do? couldn't go outside and knock doors. I got my start. Uh, I, I was working for uh, the Lincoln Project as an intern uh, in 2020, and I got my start because I was going to be organizer for the Democratic Party um, in, in the 2020 election, but because we couldn't knock doors, I could And so, you know, for that first month of COVID when everyone was kind of just sitting around thinking... I don't even know what this is, what's going on. I'm lost in my house. I, I was having the same nice thought. I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe I can do something, like, online. How did I just reach out? I like the latest project. I reached out the email, got connected to them, and I got brought on, I got brought on board the team. I was like, oh, I can affect change from my computer, right? We'll, we'll see how far I can take. I, have you know, my following online talking about politics. You know, a majority of my followers are young people, college students. Just, you know, just want to engage with this information, and I think that's what we're starting to understand is that we can actually affect change and make these differences just from our phones, just from our laptops. And that doesn't mean that it's all done online. And for a lot of times, we've been organizing make things now happening in person. These walkouts that have taken place across Florida, the world of protests that go St. Gabriel, those started on Instagram, on Twitter, and on That's where those started. Those started as ideas that people were able to get behind. And you saw how huge and impactful and meaningful those walkouts are. And now we're going to do the same thing that we're going to be walking
5: about on some those this is the are the a new set of attacks coming on our generation every day. Whether it's from a madman, a mad murderer, or it's from a fucking gun.
1: spaces that are so important to anyone else. We need you right now. Don't be afraid. Don't wait your turn. This is our time right now. And I think we understand that more than any other generation has. And I know that's gonna be seen in November. I
2: just know it will. Because it will thank God yeah, and really. it will and it will this year as well.
3: Well, thank God for
2: your generation. Listen, you guys, are, as I said at the beginning, too, you guys are smarter, you're more active, you have more knowledge about Internet and social media and so on to get messages out. Let's not forget Roe v. Wade. It's going to affect your generation, right? Yeah. Um. When you and, and at the end of the day, yeah, it you're does, the it's not just that. It's e- even book banning and don't say gay. Who gives a shit? Say whatever you... Mind your own business, is what, I try to tell, is what I try to tell everybody. You be you, let me be me, and let's just all fucking get along, right? I mean, it, sh- it shouldn't make a goddamn difference. I don't get it, but I want to go back to the second part of my previous question. Um, does Marcus Flowers have a prayer of a chance against Marjorie Taylor Greene, that fucking psychopath, in Georgia? So, what I have seen in the past two days since Marcus won the
1: nomination.
3: She
0: shouldn't be allowed to run.
1: And mentions and emails of people
0: saying, I'm
1: a Republican, I can't fucking stand her. Because although she won her primary, did she win it by 100%, 90%, 95%? No. There were thousands of votes going to other Republicans who ran against Marjorie Jones. There are people in this district who are just... So fed up with her. We saw it in the case of Madison Cawthorn, where you saw Republicans turn out to vote against them. People are tired of Marjorie Taylor Greene, and people were tired of Madison Cawthorn. As Madison Cawthorn was able to be defeated, absolutely Marjorie Taylor Greene can be. Because people are reaching out who are Republicans, who I've even say, seen, uh, seen say, you yeah, I'm a Republican, and so I'm going to vote for Brian Kemp, but I'm also voting for you, Marcus, because I'm tired of her and i like you, and I know that you will actually represent So if we're seeing that happen, if we're seeing Republicans who, you know, in our campaign is going to do everything we possibly can to make sure that they also want to be voting for Stacey Abrams, um, if we're seeing Republicans say, I am just, okay, i can't stand it anymore. She has to go. I'm to well, I'm a Republican, I always have you, but I always have you. but she has to go. That's a shot right there. That's a chance. That is an ability to defy beyond, and, and more than just that. If we're seeing Republicans who are just done with Marjorie Taylor Greene, why can't they also be done with Herschel Walker? Why can't they be done with Brian Kemp? And that's something.
2: That's the energy that we're bringing to this. Can you future. imagine Herschel Walker? I mean, I look, I had a I, chance. I, I, I had I, a I, chance. I, I, I mean, I had a chance to to meet Herschel during The Apprentice, and I can tell you. That's not who I would want representing me. You know, look, I will never take away the fact that he was an amazing ball player, an absolutely amazing ball player. But that doesn't translate into being a governor. I mean, or a, or a, I mean, it just does not translate, which is stupid. But I want to ask you this. What do you think is the most important issue, the single most important issue for these upcoming midterms? The single most important issue for these
1: upcoming midterms is, I'd say, a connection of issues. I'd say it's about connecting issues. I do the first thing that we need to say is look what Republicans want to take away from you. They want to take away, as a woman, they want to take away your bodily autonomy. And now, that's not just going to affect women. Roe v. Wade is about the right to privacy. They're not just coming for Roe. They're coming for everything. That's what we need to say. Republicans don't really want you to be able to do what you want. They don't want you to have privacy. They don't want you to be able to have bodily autonomy. And from there, we need to say, okay, Republicans want to make you have a forced birth. And then what are they going to do after that? Are they going to give you a child tax credit? Fuck no. Are they going to help you if your child is born with type 1 diabetes? Are they going to help you pay for insulin? No. Fuck no. They're not doing that. If you can't access baby formula, is there a shortage? because there's a shortage? Are they going to help you there? No. Absolutely not. And we need to connect these issues to say, look at what Republicans want to force people to do, and then look what they're going to do to help them. Republicans Dude. want to force, they want to force you to have a baby, and then they won't help you at all. Republicans want to pull on their own.
5: They're leaving it's on their own.
1: And then right there, we need to say, they don't care about children. They're not pro-life, they're pro-birth. If they were pro-life, if they cared about children, why are our children still being killed in schools? It is a connected set of messages that all so clearly go together because their hypocrisy is tremendous. It is, it is you can't miss it. It's right there in your face. Every day on the news, with the people you talk to, Elizabeth Warren always says this. Whenever she goes to a rally, she says, you know, "How many people in this room have, have used insulin?" And you know, you get most of the people raising their hands. Then it's, "How many people have a family member who uses insulin?" And then you're getting, you know, 99. And then it's, "How many? How, how many people in here know someone who uses insulin?" It's everyone. And, and that's what we have to do. We have to show people how closely all of these issues are hitting are hitting the home.
2: So to then, let me ask you how this: How closely these issues with schools are hitting up yep. post now? So, Jack, let me ask you this: Who are the political heroes, if there are any, that your generation is inspired by? I am. I think the squad is interesting because I know that you're a Beto O'Rourke fan, and yeah, he's. I. I. I, I like him. I like there a lot of things that he's. You know that that he does and that he says, but for me for my generation you know we had the kennedys we had barack obama right are there any rising community leaders in you know that we should know about in your generation that inspire you like the way that you know a a john f kennedy or a barack obama did
1: well we are about to have the first set of gen zers run for office and there is an incredible candidate who i know I work closely with his name is Ray Reed. Uh, he's in Missouri's second congressional district. I encourage everyone to look him up uh, and support Ray. And he is running right now to be the youngest representative in the history of that district and the first Gen Zer in Congress. You know, we are just having, because our generation kind of caps out at you know, mid, I right now, the oldest Gen Zer is like 26. So we're just now being able to run for Congress. And so we are about to have a wave of people who inspire us, but there are tons across the country and in, in acting every day, but we are about to have our first uh, political candidates, Gen Z is, who are going to be running for office. But absolutely, Beto O'Rourke and AOC are inspirations to us, uh, mainly for one reason, because so they're not taking shit, right? And they're calling people out. That was what was so impactful. We're not really care. We don't even care about civility, like, and and that's that's what you know. Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott were yelling about, you know, oh, this is so uncivil. They say, why are you trying to politicize this? I don't know why Republicans always say that. This is a political issue. School shootings are a policy choice by Republicans to let it happen. That's political, and so we're going to talk about it. But of course, we're going to talk about it. The the parents who were devastated by the news that they got they wanted their students to be protected, they were calling for these reforms so they could have their children protected. So people who are actually going to talk about these issues mm-hmm. and aren't afraid to do so in a mm-hmm. way that baby makes people uncomfortable, those are heroes to us. Mm-hmm. That's something that we'll do. We'll, we'll just give it people straight. And, and we're not worried about like, you know, how we're these things are supposed to traditionally mm-hmm. operate, how politics is supposed to
2: look, because that's what's yeah. holding us back. Yes, people saying wait your turn. Yes, yeah, civility. What a bunch of bullshit on the GOP. Donald Trump is the is the king of civility, right? Now, yeah, I want to say really. this to you, Jack. I read on Twitter that you've recently come out. I mean, congr- look, I want to say it to you. Congratulations. That's wonderful. You be you. Right? And and nobody should be nobody should be involved in your business. But I do want to ask you, has coming out changed your life any? And how does it inform your politics and your activism? Because like I said to you before with Ron DeSantis, I mean, don't say gay. I don't understand. What is he what is he worried about? And how is this informing you and your activism? Because like I said, you, your generation you guys don't activate and if you guys don't mobilize and if you don't help this stupid generation like myself this country's doomed
1: yeah and so the first time that i, I ever you know talked to my friends about this was in 10th was grade so you know three years ago and i was worried um and we were all just kind of hanging out and i was like um worried i never really had any experience with this none of my friends you know we're members of the LGBTQ plus community and I, I was just worried you know, I grew up in Florida. I kinda of just sat my friends down and was just like, Hey guys, I'm uh, I'm I'm bisexual. I just wanted to let you know and they're like, Okay, cool. That's great. We support you hundred percent And I was shocked by that because I was like, Well this isn't how I thought this would go And and it's still even from well, how there, did you think?
2: How did you think it was going to go? What do you think they were going to do? Put soap in a in a, in a in a in a pillowcase and beat you?
5: When you
1: see people like Ron DeSantis right. ban the discussion of right. these issues, of these histories in classrooms, even me, who was a guy who was just you know, I don't know. It, it's it's funny because all my friends were like, never could have guessed that because you know I I, I, I guess they just didn't think that's. Why I was it didn't care. When you see Ron DeSantis and you know governors and Republicans all across the country attack people for being who they want to be, yeah, it starts to worry kids. and that's why the suicide rate amongst LGBTQ+ youth are higher than any other group just because there is constant attacks on this group of people, this group of young people who just want to be themselves and just want to figure out who they are and want to do it without the impediment of Republicans trying to control them. Because what's so incredible about our generation is, you know, I I wanted to do that publicly. I wanted to do that on Twitter because I wanted to empower people to be comfortable with doing it. But what we've started to see more and more with our generation is people don't really have to come out anymore because we as young people just like, it's just who people are. It doesn't have to be some formal announcement. We don't really assume anymore that anyone is anyway, because we shouldn't, because everyone should be accepted for who they are. And that's the roadblock that the Republicans are trying to put in place. They're going back to not where we were even 10 years ago. They're going back to where we were 20, 30, 40 years ago. 15. I feel like with this issue. 16. Because we have moved so quickly, even in just a couple of years since then, uh, how comfortable, you know, a, a person like me would have felt is, is completely different as, as, from three years ago with the people in my generation. But it's different with the government now. I couldn't do that in, in, in the Florida of three years ago. I wouldn't be comfortable saying that at school. I, w- I would think I wouldn't be allowed to. I think it would be illegal. And so that's the impediments that Republicans are trying to put forth. They're trying to control people and young people. And it's despicable. And, and again... That's what we're seeing. It hits close to home because we see it every single day in our schools.
2: So it's not just the LGBTQ plus um, community that they're doing it. You stated it before, um, correctly, Roe v. Wade. But let's not forget even about this white replacement theory. All of this with the GOP really stems from the Southern White Christian Coalition. This is really what it's all about. Look, white privilege... We're used to it. We, we don't want to give it up. And when you start to see someone of color, when you see a minority in a position of power, that freaks them the fuck out. And they don't yeah. want it. They, they don't want it. And it's amazing to see that there's still so many Americans that before they kept their mouths shut, and they just went along. You know what? I can't make any change. You know, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. It's not politically. It's not... It's not civil. But now, with the incivility that Donald has brought to the table, it's actually okay for somebody to start, you know, hurling slurs at you simply because.